did you notice it's so You see the movies? What happens in the movies? When, when the king takes the throne, what do all the people pray? They cheer it, they're chanting, what do they say? Long live the king. Not this prayer. Not this prayer. Did you notice this? In, in this prayer, in this coronation prayer, it takes you till verse 15, <laughs> till you finally pray with the rest of God's people, long live the king. It's not the first thing, it's nearly the last. Why? Because all of a sudden, with this king, the king is not about himself. It's not about, it's not a long live the king, it's not, it's not king have prosperity, it's a king who is in charge of making sure everybody else has prosperity. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinagan.com. The service we're celebrating, the festival of Epiphany today, that this child, Christ, is the king. And the classic imagery of this is that these three kings, the Magi, recognize the kingship of Jesus. We're going to look at this a little bit more deeply using Psalm 72 this morning of Solomon. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills, may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all the nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. 
Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. This is God's word. I feel like I owe you just a little bit of an explanation this morning. An explanation for this psalm. The explanation goes like this. My only goal as a pastor when I'm preaching, all I want to do is bring you the word. That's it. I just want to bring you the word. And so this is what I do. I pick a word from God and then I present it as effectively and as authoritatively and as lively and as relevant as it actually is. It's all I want to do. That's it. I just want to bring you the word. There are other ways to do it. Like I just start with a word and then I find out what it says. I bring it to you. There's other ways to do it. Lots of pastors do what's called, they find a felt need. So they find something that people are feeling in their hearts, like they're, they're feeling unforgiven, or they feel like they need better communication skills, or, or they feel something, and then they find a word from God that talks about it, and so they, they bring that to the congregation. So they start with what people are feeling instead of what God says. I've done that before. It's okay, but it's not my usual practice. Now, I can, make a, I can make a huge argument for why I don't normally do the former. I can tell you that that's how I think you raise up consumers in the church. People come to church just to get their needs met or just coming for themselves. But when you start with the Word and God's people come and all they want is, Pastor, give me the Word. Now. You have disciples. I could do other arguments like there's problems with felt needs. Like they are felt needs, but they may not be your actual needs. The Word of God knows your needs before you even know what they are sometimes. So I could do that. I could give you all these explanations. I could give you more. I thought I'd start like that because here I'm starting with a word. It's Psalm 72. <laughs> this is a hard word to crack. I read this psalm to a friend. I said, what do you think? He said, Whoosh. can you like that? I just read it to you and you're going, what? How does this help? What does this mean? It's a hard word. Why am I preaching on it? You start like this. Why, why, why preach on the Psalms? Why preach on the Psalms at all? Do you know this? Do you know this? The Psalms have massive, massive amounts of Christ's prophecies. Did you know this? The Psalms are the most quoted. Old Testament book in the New Testament. Did you know that? Did you know that still today the Psalms are the most read book in the entire Bible? The Psalms. 
But why this psalm? I want to show you something today. I want to show you that this psalm is actually the deepest prayer in your heart. You don't, you don't even know it yet. It is. It's the deepest prayer in your heart. It is, it's the prayer that your heart is praying, whether you know it or not, your heart is praying this for you and for everybody else. This psalm is the deepest prayer in your heart. I want to show it to you, that you are praying for this king and this kingdom. I want to show it to you. And we're going to do it in three movements. First, I want to show you that your heart knows that it needs the kingdom of this king. You need this kingdom of this king. Second, I'm going to show you that this psalm makes you long. You need it. This king of that kingdom. And finally, I want to show you that this king is Jesus. So we're going to start with that first movement that you need this kingdom of this king. Look at the kingdom. You get a picture of it right away in verse 3. You get this beautiful poetic image. The poet says that in this kingdom, the mountains produce shalom. In this kingdom, the mountains produce shalom. Now, I know your English translations don't say that. The English translation, translations say that the mountains produce prosperity. That's not quite it. If you look at the rest of the psalm, you realize that there's actually something more profound going on. In this psalm, everything is flourishing. Everything is beautiful. Everything is knit together. It's not quite prosperity. It's more than that. You know what the proof is? We are. We are. Shalom is way more than prosperity. We're the proof. Did you know this? I didn't know this. I was listening to a financial commentator. <laughs> it's talking about uh, why our ports are so gummed up in our country. Did you know this? During, I didn't know this. During the pandemic, people started buying 20% more goods. Our ports can't handle it. We have massive, massive amounts of prosperity in this country. Massive. So much so that we can't import it fast enough. We have very little shalom. Very little shalom. What is shalom? Shalom is nothing less then prosperity, not just in the material realm, but prosperity, wellness, wholeness in your emotional life, in your spiritual life, in your relationships, in the economy, in every aspect of every world or in the world of the psalm, it's the mountains are bringing shalom and the oppressors are being brought down and the needy are being raised up and everybody experiences wellness in every aspect of their life. That's this kingdom. Don't you long for it? Don't you long for it? Don't you then 
want to be done with autonomy. Do you know what autonomy is? It's a, it's, a, it's a Greek compound word that's come over to English. It means self-rule. That's what it means, self-rule. Autonomy. Don't you want to be done with it? Don't you want to be done with, with autonomy and all of its slogans, live and, and let live, do whatever you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else? That's autonomy. It cannot produce wholeness for everyone because you're only concerned about yourself. You're just getting whatever you want. You're just living however you want. There, there was a pastor, he was preaching about shalom, and he said you can't have it when you're just trying to grab, 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 take, take, take. You're just plundering other people's kingdoms. And he was preaching in this big city. He asked his church, he said, why'd you come to the big city? Why'd you come? He said, isn't it because you want to plunder it? You want to take from the reputation, you want to take the money, you want to take the glory, you want to take, you just want to take. You know what's disturbing to me? I listen to people sometimes, they talk about the stock market. You know what they say? I've never once heard this. You know I invest? I invest so that companies can produce goods and services that are going to bless everybody in the world. You know why people invest? Because they want to make money. See, when you live an autonomous life, you live in a kingdom as small as yourself. And do you know what you spend your life doing? Plundering other people's kingdoms. It never produces shalom. But I suppose I should go a little bit further than that. Did you know that autonomy is actually an illusion? Nobody actually lives an autonomous life. Nobody does. Every single soul in here has a vision of a kingdom. You ever thought about that? If you haven't thought, you've got to think about that. You have a vision of the kingdom. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What does is, what is the dream life look like? That's your kingdom. And all of you not only have a kingdom, but you also have a vision of who or what is going to get you to that kingdom. And if it's not the vision that's presented in this psalm, you have a different vision of the kingdom than God. And if you don't have this kingdom as your vision, then you have a different king. And if you have a different king, he is going to eat you alive. In one of the more famous commencement speeches that was ever given, there is an author who delivered it, a guy by the name of David Foster Wallace. He's an atheist, but he actually agreed with everything that I just said. He said, you got to have the right vision of the kingdom, and you got to have the right king. He said, or this is going to happen. Worship money and things, and you will never have enough. Worship your body and beauty and self-allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid. Worship being seen as smart. And you will always end up feeling stupid or like 
a fraud. My question to you is this. Why destroy yourself? Here is a vision of the kingdom where everybody thrives with shalom. You need this kingdom. But now you also need this. You need the king who will deliver to you this kingdom. So now I need to point out to you the most obvious thing about this psalm. It's a prayer for the king. That's the very first verse, right? Endow the king with your justice, O God. It's it's a prayer for the king. That's what it is. It's a prayer for the king. Now, I could give you fancy terms about this. We could call this an accession prayer, a coronation prayer. It's the kind of prayer that you would pray when a monarch first takes the throne. We've never experienced that because the queen has been on the throne our entire lives, but this is what it is. It's a coronation prayer. Endow the king with your justice. But I'd rather point out to you this. Did you notice it's so different? You see the movies, what happens in the movies? When, when the king takes the throne, what do all the people pray? They cheer it, they're chanting, what do they say? Long live the king. Not this prayer. Not this prayer. Did you notice this? In, in this prayer, in this coronation prayer, it takes you till verse 15, <laughs> till you finally pray with the rest of God's people, long live the king. It's not the first thing, it's nearly the last. Why? Because all of a sudden, with this king, the king is not about himself. It's not about it. It's not a long live the king. It's not, it's not king have prosperity. It's a king who is in charge of making sure everybody else has prosperity. So it's not long live the king, it's long live all the people. And in fact, you don't even pray long live the king until you make sure that the king is actually going to give and serve and be a king for the people. But now notice this. This king can only deliver shalom to all the people if he rules with God's rules. It's endow the king with God's justice. Now this, again, this goes way against what people think today. People think People think this. People think that, that God's laws are repressive, that they're oppressive, that they're regressive. Nobody in this psalm is thinking that. Everybody in this psalm is saying, we need God's laws so that everybody can flourish. Let's see if I can get you there. Can I ask you something? Let me ask you. When does a goldfish thrive? 
when he's swimming inside the bowl or when he's flopping outside of it? See, limits aren't destructive. Borders, rules are not destructive. In fact, they create the only conditions in which humans can live. This, this is true in every aspect of life, right? When are games fun? <laughs> when you break the rules? No. Games aren't fun when you break the rules. When are games fun? Rules don't break games. They make the game. See? What about music? When, when is music art? Do you know how many rules there are in music? There's, there's notes and there's rhythm and you got to play it just when. There's rules. Rules don't destroy art. They make it. And God's laws don't stop life. They create the only possible conditions for every human being to flourish. You ever heard an argument like that? Sometimes I, sometimes I ask people this question. Do you realize this? What if, every, what if every human being on earth kept all the Ten Commandments? What would happen? You want to know? Utopia would. That's what would happen. God's laws are beautiful. God's laws are good. Think about your own life. When, when is your life in the groove? When are you experiencing shalom? I'll tell you when. when. When God is first in your life, when you're praying, when you're coming to church, that's when life is in the groove. When, when, is, when is shalom happening, not just for you, but for all the other people in your life? I'll tell you when. When, you, when you're loving them, when you're serving them, when you're being generous with them, when you're keeping the Ten Commandments, that's when everybody is, is experiencing shalom. In fact, that's why we call it sin, when you break them. Christians, we, Christians, we don't call it a mistake. It's not a mistake when you break one of God's laws. It's not a mistake. Sin is so sinful because what you're doing is you're ripping away somebody else's shalom. You're actually destroying part of their life. So we call it sin. I'm, I'm, trying, to make, I'm trying to make an argument right now. I think, I think a lot of people think that Christians are sort of these cold scolds, moral cold, scolds. That's not it at all. What are we saying? When we uphold the Ten Commandments, what are we actually saying? We're saying we want everybody to flourish. We want everybody to have a beautiful life and we realize that only within these bounds can everybody have a beautiful life. That's it. Let me give you one example of this. I'll go right at the hottest topic in the culture. You ready? Sex. Why do Christians maintain that sex can only properly happen between a man and his wife? Why? Because we're cold, moral scolds. That's why. Not a chance. Have you read our Bible? Have you read it? Come on. Have you actually read the Bible? Sex in the Bible is a beautiful gift from God that creates relationship and life, by the way. We're not cold moral scolds. 
what we're realizing is that in that profound relationship, it's the only safe place. If it happens outside of that, people get destroyed. Kids aren't cared for. We're not cold moral scolds. We want everybody, everybody, absolutely everybody to be blessed. So we need a king. And the people in this prayer, once they see that, they start praying. Did you notice that? Because here, all of a sudden, did you notice this? All of a sudden, this is what's what's at the root of so many of our cultural battles right now. People are afraid that they're not going to be able to thrive in life. So they're fighting about it. We've got to have the right leader, right? So they're fighting about it. But enter the world of this psalm. Here is a leader who is not swayed by special interests. Here is a leader who is not swayed by money. Here is a leader who cannot get corrupt. Here is a leader who, not, who he, he's not going to govern for himself. He's not going to govern just for you. He's going to govern for everybody. What if we had that king? Would you pray like this song? Oh, dear God, if we had that king, may his kingdom last forever. May his kingdom be longer than the moon. Oh, dear God, if we could just have this king, dear God, if we could just have this king, make sure that the sun never sets on his kingdom. May it be not just from sea to sea, but from the sea to the ends of the earth. Dear God, give us this king. God, will you give us a king whose power is so complete that his enemies have to lick the dust. That power centers like Sheba and Seba and Tarshish have to bring him tribute. Dear God, make a king like this unbounded in time, unbounded with borders and unbounded in power because he is going to rule for absolutely everyone's benefit so that everybody can experience shalom. Dear people of God, do you see it? You need this king. But you also need it to be Jesus. You need this king to be Jesus. I already am starting to make an argument here that this is Jesus. I hope you notice that. See, the earliest, earliest Christians, God's people, they, they get the psalm out, they read the psalm, and they go, whoa. This isn't David. <laughs> Can't be David. Can't be David. You know what David did in his kingship? You are, many of you know. What did he do? He uses his royal power to do one of history's first Me Too moments. Bathsheba wasn't seducing him. He took from her. Then what does he do? What does he do with his royal power? Uriah wasn't some kind of private in the army. We know this from the rest of the Bible. He wasn't some kind of private. He was one of David's top guys. What does he do with his power? He murders him. He murders him. It's not David. can't be David. Not Solomon. Solomon writes to Solomon. It's not Solomon. It's not Solomon. It can't be Solomon. Everybody knew it can't be Solomon. 
can't be Solomon. Couldn't be the rest of the kings. Read the rest of the Bible. Can't be the rest of the kings. Here we are. We're in democracy now. We're in democracy. What do we have in democracy? We have three branches in our government. Why do we have three branches in our government? Because we are deathly afraid of centralized power. Why are we afraid of death of centralized power? I'll tell you. Because people are bad. That's why. People are bad. We don't trust anybody with centralized power because they're bad. Has to be. Has to be. Has to be. Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one who can have a reign that lasts longer than the moon. Only one. Only one who can live forever and ever. Only one. Only Jesus. Only one. Only one who can possibly have a kingdom on which the sun never sets. Only one. Only one who can be, who is so good. He is so good. He is so not, so doesn't play favorites. He is so good that he can be trusted with power that is unbounded, with a reign that is unbounded, with borders that are unbounded. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That's why the church always reads this psalm on Epiphany Sunday because it's got to be Jesus. So I'm making a claim, but I'm going farther than that. You also need Jesus to be the Jesus that this psalm depicts. You know what my favorite little image in the psalm is? God's people are praying in the psalm, and there's this little image. You can miss it. It's a beautiful, poetic image. It's this image of the rain coming down on a mown field. Don't you love that? This sweet water, it's coming down on this mown field. Picture that. Can you picture that? Do you know when grass is most vulnerable? When it's just been cut. When it's just been broken. Jesus is the rain that comes down on broken grass. He won't allow it to get torched. Don't you love that? That kind of imagery is all over the Bible. Did you know that? Isaiah, Isaiah, right? A bruised reed. Jesus will not break. Matthew, same thing. A bruised reed. He will not break. In a mown field, he will not let get torched. That's Jesus. Do you know why that's important? Because we shouldn't be in the kingdom. None of us. We should be exiled from them. You want to have your own autonomous rule? Have your own kingdom then. Get out. That's the way it should be. Plus, if we get a passport in, we're going to wreck the shalom. 
We break rules. We're sinners. We shouldn't be allowed in. Jesus. Jesus will not let a cut, broken field get torched. Verse 12 proves it. Do you know that verse 12 is the key to the psalm? It's the key to the psalm. Absolute key to the psalm. Who is this king? Why do we pray for this king? Why do we pray for Jesus? Listen to this. This is what the king does. You got all these verbs here. Listen to this. He will deliver the needy. He will deliver the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue. Can I ask you something? What is, what is the true test of power? What is it? How can you determine the character of somebody who wields power? How do you do it? I'll tell you. You can't tell by what they do with their equals. You can only tell by what they do to those beneath them and who are vulnerable to them. Do you want to know who a man really is? See what he does with his physical power over a woman then you'll know who a man is. Do you want to know who a parent is? See what they do with their children. Do you want to know who a leader of a nation is? See what he does when he's got a stronger army. The true test of somebody's character is what they do with their power. What does Christ do with his unbounded power? with his unbounded reign and his unbounded borders. He saves. He delivers. He rescues. What did he do, people of God? He lost his kingdom on the cross so that you by holy baptism could be brought into it. He found you in your death and He gave you life. He took exile so that you could live forever in the kingdom. The test of power is what you do with people who are vulnerable to you. Christ gave Himself away so that you could live in His kingdom forever. You need King Jesus. Don't you long for Him. Don't you pray? You know, I want to say this in closing. This psalm is not meant for explanation. It's not. It's meant to be prayed. It needed explanation. I think it needed explanation. I think that's why I gave an explanation. I think you needed to see that this is the kingdom that you long for. It's the only kingdom in which shalom can be had by everybody. 
I think you needed to see that. I think you needed to see that you need this king, a king who's going to rule with justice and righteousness, who does not rule with favoritism. He's God's man. I think you needed to see that. And I think you needed to see Jesus. I think you needed to see that a bruised reed, he will not break. And a broken grass, he will not torch. He restores people to his kingdom. He does not exile people from it. I think you needed to see it, and so I explained it. But this psalm is not for explanation. It's meant to be prayed. May you pray it. In summary, may the deepest prayer in your heart be this. May his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give all of us our daily bread. All of us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, King, from all evil. And people of God, people of God, people of God, this psalm promises you he will. He will. So to him be the kingdom. Not just from sea to sea, but from the sea and the river to the ends of the earth. And to him be the power so that his enemies lick the dust and go down. And that that cities and countries that are so powerful, his power projects so that they too must bring him tribute. To him be the power. And like this psalm says, the glory that fills all the earth forever and ever. Amen.